0: welcome to the show life of a dog on the res a place where we share funny cringeworthy and inspirational stories that uplift the soul and heal our spirits just like the warm fuzzy feeling you get when wrapping yourself in your favorite Pendleton blanket while watching a buffalo dance in the plaza. I'm your host, Yashche, and I am so happy that you joined me today. Kamayame Osata. I am Kamayame. I was born and raised for the people of Tamaya. My identity goes back to the beginning of our emergence from Shippop. All cultures of the world have an origin story, a telling of our collective journeys and our purpose on this earth. This knowledge and understanding is told to us through our elders, ceremonies, and songs. It connects us to the land, the people, and the way of life that we hold dear. We are known as Tamayame in our Keras language. We are also known as the people of Santa Ana Pueblo, a name given to us by the Spaniards upon their arrival in 1540. They called us Pueblo, a Spanish word for village or town, for what they saw, people living in communal villages that were constructed of complex multi story homes built with mud and stone. We already had names for our villages in our native tongue. Many names reflect the places we settled, rivers we crossed, landmarks we chose to occupy, or even types of personalities that we have. Names of the villages are ancient, and some have lost their translation to time, but are still used to identify the people. With the arrival of the Spaniards also came Christianity, a concept and belief not known to the people. Without going down that rabbit hole, the Spaniards used it to divide and conquer. At each village, they established a church and named the village after a patron saint. Santana Pueblo is named for our patron saint, St. Anne. A few of the native villages resisted the Spaniards and kept their original names. There are names like San Felipe Pueblo, Santo Domingo Pueblo, San Juan Pueblo, Santa Clara Pueblo, just to name a few. But we still know them by their original names. and the list goes on. It brings a sense of pride and identity to continue to use these names that go back to our beginning. Our emergent story into this world is not a legend, fable, or fantasy, but an actual living account of our migration southward and the destiny of the people. Although there are many similarities to our collective emergent stories, each story is unique. The story of our emergence, as told by the elders, is deep in sacred, religious, and cultural understanding, only reserved for the Tamaya people. In 1979, the tribal council, comprised of traditional religious leaders, tribal officials, and council members of Tamaya, gave their blessings for a written document of our history and the people. What came about was the creation of a book titled Santa Ana, the People, the Pueblo, the History of Tamaya authored by Laura Bayer and Floyd Montoya, a tamayame and archivist for the Pueblo. The book is intended for the tamayame and especially for the young people who will carry Tamaya's history into the future. The retelling of our migration story in this episode is at a surface level, while the deeper sacred religious beliefs and teachings are reserved for tamayame only, with approval of traditional leaders and fathers of the Pueblo that include Leo Peña, Eligio Montoya, Luis Armijo, Roy Montoya, Andy León, Vicente Armijo, José Ramón Sánchez, Felix García, Ben Peña, Cristo García, Sam Armijo, Lawrence Montoya, Clyde León, and many others, this historical document was possible. The telling of our emergence and migration to our place of readiness is not measured by years or numbers, but by the passing of knowledge from grandfather to grandson, from grandmother to granddaughter, in a continuous line that connects us to the beginning. I ask you to open your hearts and minds to our story, for this is who we are, Tamayame. Long ago, the tradition says, the Han, the people, came into this world from an underworld. They emerged at Shipop, a place north and west of the land that will come to be known as Tamaya. This upper world they soon saw was abundant. The religious leader spoke to them of the beauty of the land and the sky and what they were to do. The people were to travel over the earth until they found the place that suited them best. There they would make their homes. He gave them instructions for the journey. When he had finished, he blessed all those who chose to remain in the upper world and the hunt set out on their journey. They traveled for a long time always heading south. Though they passed through many fine lands, they did not settle in any of them. When they grew hungry, they stopped to gather the nourishment earth provided for them. As soon as the Han had renewed their energy, they traveled on as they had been instructed. In this way they journeyed, pausing only long enough to regain their strength, until at last they reached Kase Kachru White House. After many years of traveling, they stopped to settle for the first time. The Han had been governed by the instructions of their religious leader. Now under his direction, the people set up a larger system of government which would give order to their lives as they continued their journey and much later when they settled at Tamaya. At the head of this government was the Tio who was responsible for deciding all matters of importance to the people. To see that his decisions were carried out and that all the things needed for the religious ceremonies were done, the Teomani appointed a Ma'sewi, war chief, and Uyuyewi, assistant war chief, along with several Kuachanyi, war chief aides. From that time on, the Teomani, guided by spiritual inspiration and a council of advisors, was to lead the hunt. While the hunt journeyed, the earth had provided richly for them. Abundant game and wild plants along the route had met the people's needs, but when they ended their journey, they would no longer rely on what the earth offered them, for the hunt were farming people. Wherever they settled, they planted fields of corn, beans, and squash. For a farming people, this upper world could be harsh. Without hard work, they would have no harvest, for many places had no water, and untended seeds would wither in the dry ground. When they chose a place to settle, the hunt had to find a source of water for their crops. But often there was no river, only a small stream that would dry up during the summer when the seedlings most needed water. Rainfall might supply that water, but rain in this land was sparse and unpredictable. To ensure a supply of water for their crops, the hunt learned to plant their seeds above underground springs where water would seep up to nourish young plants. They grew skilled constructing check dams to capture rainfall and run off and direct the sacred water to the crops. In the driest summers, the people carried spring water in clay jars to the parched fields. At Koshe Kacrute, the first settlement, the Hun built the foundations of their way of life in the upper world. But they were not to remain at Koshe for this was not their homeland. Eventually it was time for them to move on and they headed south and east once again. After traveling for a long time, they reached the eastern slopes of the Sandia Mountains. There in a the high valley west of the San Pedro Arroyo, they settled in the village of Paaco. This village, surrounded by mountain peaks, had adobe buildings around a central plaza. As the village grew, more buildings, made first of adobe and later of stone, were added on the west side, leaving the flat land on the eastern edge of the village free for farming. The region around Paco was rich in resources. A spring provided a dependable supply of water. High in the mountains, the hunters could find deer, elk, bear, and bighorn sheep. Bison and antelope roamed the valley and the basins. Squirrels, rabbits, chipmunks, mice, bats, and other small animals were also abundant. Pignon, oak, yucca, cactus, and berries grew near the village. The mountains nearby held deposits of lead, turquoise, mica, and other minerals. With these resources, the people of Balco could make all they needed. The leaves and fibers of yucca and other plants were woven into sandals, baskets, and mats. Wild plants yielded fruits, nuts, greens, and berries for the people's diet. Animals provided both food and a supply of bone that would be used to make a variety of essential tools. Artisans carved and polished the bone to fashion handles, scrapers, punches, and fine awls. Bone could also be worked to make beads and ornaments, game pieces, and musical instruments such as flutes, whistles, and rasps. Using clay tempered with mica, sand, or silt. The potters of Paco made both ornate jars, canteens, bowls and dippers, and undecorated cooking pots, jars, bowls, and pitchers. At first, the Pueblo used black carbon paint on a white or gray slip to decorate their wares. Not long after Paco was founded, some potters began to create a red or red-orange pottery with designs applied in a black glaze paint. Other potters applied this dark glaze to a whitish or yellow slip. The craftsmen, farmers, and potters of Paco were not isolated. Just to the south, in the Sandia Mountains, lay the villages later known as Teheres and San Antonito. To the east were the villages of the Galisteo Basin. The settlements of the Rio Grande were not far away. The people of Paco met these neighbors, and perhaps more distant ones as well. For networks of trade and giving brought goods from remote lands to the Sandia village. Although Balco was far from the ocean, its residents made beads and ornaments from seashells of western Mexico. The people had pottery made by their neighbors to the west, south, and east. Their contacts may well have reached as far as the plains. For more than a century, the settlement of Balco prospered. The people added new rooms of stone and masonry to the village. Farmers tended their crops in fields on the flats east of the town. Not all the Hun remained at Ba'ako during this time, however. The tradition recalls that when the people reached Ba'ako, they divided into two groups. One group settled in the village on the east slope of the Sandias, while the other set out on a journey that was to take them in a large circle to the west before they returned to Ba'ako. The people who left Palco traveled to the Rio Grande Valley where they built a small village on the east bank of the river just across Katsukya, San Felipe Pueblo. To the Katsukyame, this village was known as Tamayakoasaya. The Tamayame remained there only a short time before crossing the Rio Grande and traveling north and west. When they reached the area south of Borrego Springs, they settled for a time beside the village of Kitichinatsia the Tia people. Then with the Tiamé, they traveled west passing between the plebos of Tia and Hamishite, Hamis. Just south of the place where the real Jemes meets the real Salado, the Tamayame built a settlement known as Cuistepu Tamaya on the west banks of the Hames. A Tiamé village stood just across the river on the east bank. Cuistepu Tamaya, the tradition says, was blessed with flourishing fields of corn and squash. The women of Tsiame village would cross the river each day to help the Tamayame grind corn. But the stories recall that the men of the Tsiame village grew jealous because the women were crossing the river and in their anger, they began to plot against the Tamayame. The men recruited the Navajo, Navajo, who had recently arrived in the region to help attack the Tamayame village. When the people of Cuistepu Tamaya learned of the plot, they decided to move on. They gathered food and supplies for the journey, packed all that they could carry, and then set fire to the village. Carrying their belongings, they moved south until they came to Kinyiawa, San Felipe Mesa, just south of Sico Mesa Preta, at the east end of the Rio Perco. On top of the mesa, they sought shelter from their enemies. Later, as the threat of attack became more remote, the Tamayama began to plant corn in the wide valley at the base of Sico. Then, when the danger had passed, the people moved down from the mesa and built a new village, Kuiste in the valley on the west bank of the Rio Perco near Quiniawa. Meanwhile, an old woman and a small boy remained behind at the abandoned village of de Portamaya on the Rio Jemez. When the Tamayame fled the village, the woman was too old and tired to make the journey, and her great-grandson, a newborn infant, was much too young to travel. In the smoking ruins of Kuistepu Tamaya, it fell to the old woman to care for the child. Picking through the charred ruins of the village in search for food, she soon found enough storage jars filled with corn and pinyon nuts to feed them both well. She ground the pignon nuts into a milky substance to feed the child until he was old enough to eat solid foods. As the boy grew, she began to teach him. First, he learned the names of the plants and the animals and the birds that filled the land around them. Then, when he was old enough, the old woman showed him how to use the willows that grew by the river bank to make a strong bow and straight arrows. As the years passed, the boy learned the people's ways and grew into a strong young man. But his mind was filled with questions. He began to wonder about himself and the old woman, who was by then very old indeed. How had they come to this place, he asked himself, and why did they live alone there? Where did they come from? Who is she? At last, one day, the young man asked the old woman, and she told him the story of the Tamayama. She explained how the Han had came to that place and built the village. She spoke of the Tsiyame living across the river, recalling how anger had grown among the Tsiyame men and how the Tamayame had learned of their plot to raid Kwi Tamaya. She described the people's preparations for the journey and how, at last, they had set fire to the village and set out to find a new home. Finally, she told him how his mother had left him, her newborn son, in her care. After hearing what the old woman recounted, the young man grew determined to search for his mother and his people. For several days he gathered all that he will need for the journey. When he was ready to leave, the old woman gave him instructions to travel south, for that was the way that Tamayama had gone, and to search for the ashes of their campfires, which will guide him along the path they had taken. When the two exchanged blessings and farewells, the young man set out for Kwiistepu Tamaya. After traveling for many days, searching for a sign that might lead him to the Tamayama, he came to a river. As he paused on the bank to drink and refresh himself, two women came down to the river from a village on the opposite bank. Laughing and smiling, they filled their water jars and returned to the village. A short time later, the two women came back to the river and approached a young man who was still resting on the opposite bank. When they called to him, he replied in their language, Surprised and delighted, they invited him to their village. That night, after the young man had eaten, one of the women summoned the courage to ask him who he was, where he had come from, and how he had learned to speak the language of the Tamayame. The young man told them of the old woman who had raised him, describing the abandoned village at Kuistepu Tamaya where he had grown up, and the old woman who had told him about the Tamayame. Then, as he explained, how he set out to find his mother, the woman who first spoke to him cried, I am the one you are seeking, I am your mother. Thus the young man's journey ended and he was reunited with his mother, his people at the village of Kuis de Kinewa on the west banks of the Rio Porco. For the Tamayama, however, the journey did not end there. When the time came for them to move on, they left Kuis de Kinewa as they had left earlier settlements. Traveling southwest, tradition says, they crossed a small stream near their modern settlement of Pawari. As the Tamaya passed their bundles from one person to another across the stream, they called out, Kiti Kuisti. Even today, that place is known as Kuisti. The Tamayame traveled on, eventually reaching the valley east of the massive stone mesa that was the home of the the Akuma people. Tradition recalls that two of the Hun climbed to the top of the mesa to speak to the people of Arco, Finding that their languages were very much alike, one of the two men decided to remain on the mesa, while the other climbed down and returned to his people. The Tamayame reached Arco during a time of drought, and Arco, tradition says they stayed until the rains came. Then supplied with food for the journey, the Tamayame moved on. Once again they traveled south building a village somewhere near the modern city of Socorro but this settlement like others along the route provided a temporary home for the Tamayame who soon crossed the east banks of the Rio Grande turning north and returned to Paco when the Tamayame rejoined the people of Paco they found that the settlement had changed during their journey two sections of the village had expanded until they nearly touched one another rows of adobe and stone houses some of two stories had spread north, west and south of the first building. The builders had made storerooms, workrooms, living rooms and special rooms set aside for ceremonial use. As the town had grown, the people of Pakul had sought new fields and farmlands. Although the Sandia Mountain region was rich in resources and the village of Pakul drew water from a permanent spring, the land had a short growing season and frost often threatened the crops. Farmers could not depend on the area's unpredictable rainfall, which varied from one field to another. During the journey from Shipop to Pahako, the Tamayama had seen the promise of the fertile Rio Grande Valley. In the settlement at Pahako, Tamaya farmers had not forgotten those rich lands. While the first Tamayame group journeyed to the west. The remaining Tamayame had begun to build small farming villages along the Rio Grande. From the Corrales region to the Angostura, Tamayame farmers planted and harvested their crops, returning after the harvest to the center of Paco. Soon after, all the Tamayame were reunited. They moved from Paco to the lands along the Rio Grande, settling in six or more villages that stretched from the area around modern Albuquerque to the Angostura region near the modern site of Bernalillo. The southern villages in the Corrales area were grouped on the west bank of the river, while those in the north, near Bernalillo, were built on the east bank. Among the villages was one known as Spureka, the butterfly, which stood south of Bernalillo on the west bank of the Rio Grande. This region was also home to the Tiwa people, whose villages often stood across the river from those of the Tamayame. By A.D. 1425, little more than a century after it was founded, the village of Paako was abandoned. Its people moved on, taking most of their belongings with them. The peoples who reoccupied Paako a century later found only crumbling walls and broken pottery to identify the hunt who once lived there. For the Tamayame, the journey had not yet come to an end. They settled for a time in a farming village along the Rio Grande, traveled north to the west bank of the Rio Hames where they found a village known as Ha Tamaya. From this village, the people eventually crossed the Rio Hames and traveled north to the place where, after centuries of travel, the journey ended. There, beside the river and beneath a broad mesa, the men found the land that they would choose in accordance with the instructions given to their ancestors for their home. I hope you enjoyed the retelling of the migration story of the Tamayame people. This story is a living testament to the journey our ancestors took to find Tamaya Kuasa, our homeland. We as the people continue our journey southward in our hearts, minds and souls until that day we are called home to begin our journey back to Shipab, our place of origin, where we will continue to live forever. If you have an inspirational story or want to share your own personal journey with the people, please shoot me an email at lifedogrez at gmail.com. I would love to connect with you and find out if you ever swam in the ditch, took shampoo and soap to wash up after. Well, that's the end of our show. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Life of a Dog on the Res podcast, a place where we share funny, cringeworthy, and inspirational stories from our beloved Pueblo homelands. I hope this episode brought a smile to your face, made you laugh, and inspired you to do good things. I truly appreciate the love and support that you send and wish all of you the happiness and joy we all deserve. If you like the show, please subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I would truly appreciate it. Spread the word to our families, friends, and fellow res dogs. Until next time, Shodzim Ho Pa. Talk to you later. Bye.